0: Wednesday night Bible study. Really, it's 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 Bible study, and there's going to be a lot of the word that's going to be presented to you. But um, one of the things I can do, especially on a Wednesday night, is because I, I can do mass group counseling. Isn't that cool? It means I don't have to come in late at night. Doesn't mean you know. Doesn't doesn't mean I I have to, you know. Work hard, but I can, because there are certain things that are the human condition. Can I just tell you, all of us were born in sin, that's scripture. So we all have this bent in us that's not taken care of until Jesus comes into our life. And so what that means is this, that we all have a little dysfunction in us. No, I'll go back. All of us have a whole lot of dysfunction in us. Sin makes us dysfunctional. Not you, but every the rest of us it makes dysfunctional. <laughs> All right? So we're not making a bad confession, but we have to come to terms with reality. And that is ain't nobody perfect here. Not you, not me, not anybody. And there are certain things that fit in all of our lives. Now, I realize your situation, whatever situations you have faced in life, you think are different and they're unique and nobody has faced what you're facing right now. And if I only knew all the details to your situation, I would see how you are an exception to the rule. No. No. Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. And, and so all of us here have some some things we can, we can implement. And I have found this to be true, that if you will implement... A lot of what the scripture tells us to implement, it'll take care of about ninety percent of what's going wrong in your life. That other ten percent may need some some tweaking and, and some other things. But if you if you'll get some base foundational concepts, man, you can you, you you'll be better off than ninety eight percent of the world. All right. So we titled it "Why Smart People." Make dumb decisions. That almost sounds like I've just sort of offended you. But can I just say, is there anyone here that would say I have never made a dumb decision? Because I want you to do the teaching then, I guess. I've never made a dumb decision. Not before I get to question you for just a few minutes. See, we all have, haven't we? And, And you know what? And I'm looking across the room tonight and I'm seeing everyone here and I know a lot of your backgrounds. I know what's going on. And you know, a lot of you have a lot of life together, and, and, and you've done a lot of good things in life. And it's, it's not that you're you're just whacked or anything like that, but why is it that you can have certain areas in your life together, you're, you can be halfway sharp, but yet, as you think back across life, you say, I have made a few dumb decisions along the way. Well, I, I want to fix that, and it's going to take a few weeks to do it, and you're going to have to commit yourself To being here on Wednesday because I'm not I'm not gonna go but till seven thirty and then we're gonna stop and then we'll have to pick up next time. The good news is you're not gonna have to pay me two hundred and twenty five dollars an hour. (laughs) And can I just share this? I'll be better than the one that you're paying that money to. You say, Wow. aren't you something no I've been I've been around the block enough to be able to say that so I'm going to help you with this because we it's not really me it's the Lord if he created you and he's talked about you and he knows you and he declares that you're fearfully wonderfully made and he's given you and me an owner's manual and if I'll just help you understand this owner's manual then it's it's not so much me it's him and and he will come and he will make things right. So tonight, I want to introduce to you what I've entitled An Introduction to Decisions. An Introduction to Decisions. Now, in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, and we may hear the kids coming through the walls, all right, but they're having a great time with Pastor Tracy over there. So they're enjoying themselves, so nothing wrong with that. But in Joel 3, verse 14, now the book of Joel is a great book. It's a book, a, a prophetic book that really talks about what God's going to do in the latter days and end times. He's going to pour forth of His Spirit. It actually says in the book of Joel that His Spirit is going to come upon these young people, that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and that actually there'll be a great moving of God uh, in the children and in the young people. That's what the Scripture says. And it tells us a lot of different things about the end time and the activity of the Spirit. And here in chapter 3, he begins to talk about how... The context of the earth will be challenging, it will be difficult, it will be adverse. Uh, The other prophets pick up and they use interesting phrases like gross darkness and, and, and incredible wickedness. And it's going to be a very dysfunctional time. People are going to call normal those things that God calls abnormal. Remember, he says they'll call good evil and evil good. There's going to be much dysfunction because if we call evil good and then think we're doing good and then wonder why life isn't working, you understand how frustrating that would be. The world is frustrated right now. Many people are frustrated. They're living what they thought would bring them happiness and success and fulfillment and contentment. And they're doing everything that we, and we could list. We could list all the whether we, you know, the wickedness or debauchery or whatever it is. But yet they think they're they've got it all uh, you know they've got everything they want, and yet, and yet their life is falling apart. Well, it's not just it's not just them, but unfortunately, it's crept into the life of believers in the church, and and we've become in some ways as dysfunctional as the world. Now, we may understand that there are certain egregious sins or things we ought not do, and and maybe we're, you know, we're adept enough to navigate our way and keep our way out of that. But yet, there's a lot of things that we don't understand that God's word says. And one of these areas is the ability to make a quality decision. And Joel here in the book says these words. This is what he says in verse 13. He says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. And what basically he's declaring prophetically is he's saying in the midst of all of this dysfunction, in the midst of all of this wickedness, he says, it's really going to be an opportune time to bring in the harvest. Have you ever thought about this? Do you know that when people are in pain, they tend to listen? And if they won't listen, they just get more pain. Isn't that true? And and really God's word to us is how much pain can you endure before you listen? And so there's going to be such adversity that the prophet says people are going to listen because there's going to be no answer. They won't know what's ha- where, where do we go for an answer? Where do we go for understanding? So he says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come go down for the winepress is full. The vats overflow and that's really a good word. And then it almost, he sticks in here for their wickedness is great. He says this is because there's such, there's such consternation and groaning in the earth. But it's a good time, he says, because they'll finally listen. And then in verse 14, it says this multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near. And if you've never underlined in your Bible, start underlining right now for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now, I know what that means if we interpreted it in light of end times. But let me give you a real practical interpretation right now. Listen to me. That when you're at a crossroad and when you're about ready to make a choice or you're about ready to make a decision, the Lord is very near at that particular moment. Have you ever thought about that? The minute you're about ready to make a decision, the day of the Lord is near. Because in that decision, either either blessing Or adversity will probably come your way based on your choice out of that decision. That's the day of the Lord is very near in the valley of decision. I also think it's interesting that most decisions are made in valleys. Whenever we're on mountaintops, it's easy to make a decision because you can see everything. You're on a mountaintop. God's good and hallelujah. And and it's easy to see the landscape. But is it not hard to make a decision when you're in the midst of a valley? You're in the midst of a a depression and all you see are problems all around you and all you see are challenges all around you. And how do I make a decision in the midst of all of this that is going on? Let me just say this. The most amazing thing in the world to me is how God has linked to some extent his plan for my life to my freedom to make a choice. God God has linked blessing to my decision-making. That's why the Scripture says most often, if you will do this, then I will do this for you. If you will hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, then will I bless you, and the blessing will come upon you and overtake you. So you understand if there's the word if and then, that means somewhere in there, you got to make a choice. right? You're making a decision. Now, my personal theory is, Because I've often wrestled with people, and one of the early arguments, you know, when you go off to school and you study all this stuff, one of the first, one of the first, uh, classroom arguments you get into is over God's ability to know everything, His ability to control everything, His ability to direct everything, and now your ability to make decisions and choices. And we get in this big argument. I'm sure the professor that does that class is probably smiling when he comes in that day and he throws the bone out to everybody and he watches us just hack around on it. Because how do you reconcile a God who I think if I were to share this with you, who we oftentimes say God's in control. He knows what's going on. All things are in his hand. God's sovereign. And we'd make these declarations and then in the next moment, we're making stupid decisions. And we're finding ourselves in these difficult situations. How do you reconcile all of this? Can I just share this with you? I mean, there's no perfect way to reconcile it all. So I'm going to leave you in a, in a little bit of a, a quandary because I don't know that we'll ever fully reconcile God's sovereign abilities to move and change and direct with man's ability to make choices. Because you understand that if God was simply the master chess player, In all of our lives. And if he was, if he was just somehow controlling everything and there was real no no choice in our life, you understand we'd be nothing more than actors kind of fulfilling the divine script. We'd sort of be like puppets in the hand of the puppet master who'd just be sort of making us do certain things. And do you understand the reason God doesn't do that is because he's not going to make you want him. He's not going to make you love him. He's not going to make you serve him. But he he looks at you and he says, I want you to want me. That's the highest expression of love is when you want to, not because you have to. So how do you reconcile it, Pastor? Well, this is what I've come to the conclusion. And and I haven't heard anything better, so I think I'm right. This is what I believe. The scripture says that God knows the end from the beginning, right? Right? I believe, let's just use this illustration, that if I walk through a door, and let's just say for the sake of argument, I've got three decisions I can make. I mean, there may be 10 for all I know, but let's just, because I'm going to do some math here, and if I don't keep it low, I'm going to be in trouble. Okay. Let's just say I can make three decisions. I walk through this door, and I can make any one of three decisions. And out of those three decisions, let's just say I can make three more decisions out of those three decisions. Are you following me? So what am I up to now? Nine decisions, right? Well, let's just say that off those decisions, I can make three more decisions. See, we're getting into algebra, and some of you are going, don't go there. But you know what I'm saying right now. What's that? Is that 27 or 81? 27? I won't go any farther than that. But you, you see what I'm getting to. Then you've got 27 decisions, and let's just say there's three more after that, and you can begin to see, and that's a human being's life. That's probably a, a day in the life of a human being, is it not? Now, here's what I believe, This and this is what I believe to be true. I believe that God knows the outcome of every potential decision you make. I believe that. I believe he knows the potential of every possible decision you can make and, listen to me, where you end up if you make those decisions. That's what I believe. Now, the reason I think that's important when I say that because that may mess with some of you because maybe you heard a sovereignty of God messages and, and basically God knows the line you're walking in. Hey, listen, this is, this is just me and I'm just sharing it this way. I believe that we're to be led by the Spirit because the Bible says that. And I believe that there's a short way and there's a long way to the will of God. Right? How many of you want the short way? (laughs) How many of you have taken the long way? (laughs) Like me, yeah. Okay. Alright, so, so, so are you understanding how important it is to make a decision? Now you can love God. God's committed to you. The Lord wants you to be in some good places and He'll do His best to get you there. And if you'll make quality decisions, the shortest distance between two points is called a line and He very much would prefer you walk a straight line. Most of us are walking All right. But the good news is, is that is that he can, if you'll let him even take the worst of decisions and and, and get you back to a good place, if you'll allow him. But that's why I like the text is because there are millions in this valley of decision. There are millions of millions, billions of people making decisions. Do you understand the magnitude of our God? And he knows the outcome of all of that. Now, there's incredible power in a decision. I'm going to tell you just a few stories real fast because I know I don't have a lot of time. How many of you remember back on January the 15th, it's nearly two years ago, flight, U.S. Air Flight 1549, Captain Sully. Are you getting the picture? Remember that one? Those of you that remember the story, remember he took off from LaGuardia and instantly a a flock of geese hit the airplane. And he testified at the NTSB meeting that the moment those birds hit his plane, he knew that he was going to have to make a decision. He said he was going to have to bring that plane down. He knew he was either going to have to take it back around and land back at LaGuardia. He was either going to have to go to a nearby airport and set the thing down there. But when he began to see how quickly he was losing altitude and speed, he knew that he was going to have to find the the longest, smoothest, place he could to land that thing. And he said the only thing that popped into his mind in the middle of downtown New York was the Hudson River. And in the span of, I'm, I'm talking seconds, he made that decision. And he literally became a hero because 155 people walked away from that. Everyone on that plane survived. It was called the miracle on the Hudson. You remember? That's, that's the power of a decision. One decision... Made well in a moment of crisis, and he's an instant hero. Now, let me tell you the story about the Russian aeroflot pilot who got drunk before he took his plane off. You know where this one's going. And he crashed it into the Black Sea, killing everybody that was on board. The difference between a hero and a villain is one decision. If we can get a hold of that, we'd probably find ourselves praying about things a whole lot more. Personally, I have met hundreds of amazing people who through their life have made incredible decisions and they're at an incredible place in their life. And unfortunately, I've met hundreds of sad people who got that way because they could not make a quality decision. I mean, I, I, I know personally of a pastor, listen to this, he, I don't know what happened, one day... He decided he was just going to lose his mind. And so he steals, he steals the building fund. He runs off with the secretary, leaves the church, goes to the airport, catches a plane, goes to the Caymans, and I guess thinks no one's ever going to find him or what's happened. But the problem was he also stole the church fan with the name on the side of it. So they knew exactly where he was and what happened in anyway. He went to jail. And you know, one decision. One decision. I mean, how many of you know in this recent recession that we've gone through, there were people who purchased houses they could not afford, and they overextended themselves, and the bubble broke, and now they're on the street. How many know? Dumb decision. Dads and moms. They have wrong priorities. They work 60 hours a week. They don't spend any time with children and and, and the things that need to happen in kids' lives. And all of a sudden, the kids get older, and they crash because they made a dumb decision. I remember a lady, a sweet lady. She was a church secretary in Spindale, North Carolina. She contracted breast cancer. And for whatever reason, I know she was probably thinking she was exercising faith, but I think she was also in denial and she had a misunderstanding of faith, but she refused to have it go checked. She refused to go have it dealt with or anyone else to look at it. And she ended up dying in her late thirties. That was a dumb decision. There was a French philosopher by the name of Camus who said that life is a reflection of your choices. Is that not true? All of us live a certain life because of the decisions we have made. So I go back to the question, why do ostensibly smart Christian people make dumb choices? Now, I I want you to notice I did use the word stupid earlier, and and I probably ought to repent from that because stupid really, there's a difference, I think, between dumb and stupid. Dumb is what you do. Stupid is who you are. Now, I'll just say this. Listen, I'm going to say this. I don't think, really, and I'm telling you, God doesn't think there's a one of you in this room that's stupid. I don't think you're stupid. In fact, I think just by virtue of you being here in the middle of the week, and I, I, I suspect if we took a poll, everybody say, yeah, I love God, I, wanna, I want God's will in my life, and we did all those sorts of things. I think, I think you're a very bright person if those are the choices that you have made or are beginning to make in your life. So I don't think you're a stupid person but truth is, there are all sorts of things that we all would like to go back and change. 2020 hindsight, you know, is perfect. But if you've chosen Jesus and you believe that when you open up your heart to him, that literally the spirit of the risen Christ lives inside of you, that he walks with you and he talks with you, and that you, you no longer have a carnal mind that's at enmity with God, but as Paul said, that you now can have the mind of Christ. And that if these things are now moving and flowing in you, then it seems to me we ought to have a distinct advantage in the quality of decisions and how we make decisions than other people who may be in the world. And yet, folks, I'm just going to say it. Christian, yes, Christian people make dumb decisions, don't they? Do you realize how many lives we could change or see changed if we could just help people Make a quality decision. Think about that for just a moment. Think about your own life. If we could put something in your hands that would give you and let's whether we get a hundred percent accuracy or whether we just get eighty percent accuracy, could you imagine what would happen if we could raise the quality of our decision making and what that would look like then in our lives? Wouldn't it change? Maybe we would get to what Jesus called abundant life because that's the will of God. I don't know about you, but I want abundant life. I believe 2011 can be the year you've always dreamed of. I believe that this coming year can be the manifestation of those things that God has promised to you. I believe that before us lies such potential and opportunity and and blessing and possibility. And I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't going to be challenges. And I'm not saying there won't be some valleys that we'll walk through. But folks, if we'll learn how to make a decision that honors God and causes us to know his will. Can I just share this with you? By December of 2011, some of you will not be living in the same condition you're living in tonight. Now, what I mean is better. Now, if you don't learn to make a decision, it could be worse, right? Now, dumb decisions are usually grouped into four categories. You can write these down. Usually grouped, and all through this, we're gonna use these four categories. Number one, I put down dumb moral choices. Dumb moral choices. I'm I'm gonna say two names. President Clinton, Tiger Woods. I don't think these are stupid people. As a matter of fact, I, I, I think they're probably incredibly sharp, intelligent people. They both have incredible gifts. They both had incredible opportunities and possibilities. They're people who are considered to be at the top of their professions. But one decision, and what happened? It all changes. See, not everybody, unfortunately, gets a second chance, like President Clinton and Tiger Woods. And can I just share this with you? And this is one of the things that I think we need to zero in, especially if we use these two as illustrations. And that is you lose what you had through a bad decision. Watch what it takes to get back to just the place you were. I think President Clinton's working hard at it. But I, but I think forever he'll be stained. I think Tiger will probably work hard at it, but he'll forever be stained. Hey, not to, not to bring up bad news, Brett Favre, Hall of Fame, had everything, sent one text message, probably not one, made a dumb decision, and now his whole life is tarnished. Dumb moral choices. Why would smart people make dumb choices? See, really, can I just say this to you guys right here? If you guys can get this, you can go farther than mom and dad. See, because mom and dad learned some things through pain. But if you'll learn from their pain and then you'll learn how to make good choices, you'll actually have opportunity to do more, go farther, be blessed, achieve promise, go to greater heights. But I'm just telling you, one one decision, one decision that's a bad decision I'm just telling you, it can mess everything up. Can I just ask you this? You don't have to, I'm just, I'll ask for somebody else. But I'll bet every one of you knows somebody in your age area that made a bad decision. And it is it is either highly affecting them now, or you might even say it will forever affect them. Can you, th- isn't it true? Just one decision. All right. So I hope you really, you really zero in and listen to the pastor. I can help you with this. So dumb moral choices. Number two, dumb relational choices. Dumb relational choices. <sighs> you know, we made our children learn one particular verse in the scripture that we made them quote all the time. And it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 15, 11. I'm not sure exactly. You'll have to double check me on that. But it's this one. Bad company corrupts good morals. We need a few adults to learn that one, too. Bad company corrupts good morals. What what that means is is that that when you begin to hang around a wrong wrong crowd, it can begin to rub off on you. And and we make dumb relational choices. We make dumb relational choices at times, even when we're getting married. And we make choices for spouses. We make dumb choices. Um, You know, some of you know the story. You know, when Clay was 16 and he was getting his autonomy. He doesn't mind me, he tells this story too. Uh, we told him that there were, certain, there were certain people he was not to be hanging around. I mean, we, we said, you, do not, you are not to be with these people. Well, guess who he was with one Saturday? People he ought not be around. Well, we didn't know that. He had just, he had just gotten his vehicle and so he had this autonomy and so he was, he was out with this group of uh, uh, boys that he shouldn't have been with. And uh, all of a sudden, late in the afternoon, I get a phone call. And it's from uh, the police station. And it says, is this Mr. Baird? I said, yes, this is Mr. Baird. Well, we have your son down here. <laughs> what is it, Lockwood? Isn't that where it is? I said, what? You have my son. Is your son named Clay? I, I We have your son. Really? Okay, well, I'll be down there. And And I went down there. And uh, what had happened was, is that, uh, gratefully, he was in another part, he was in another part of the store, so he was not with two of the boys uh, that were shoplifting at the time. And so they caught those two boys shoplifting, but they decided that in order to deal with, since they all came in together, they were all going to go out together. And so, you know, he had not been shoplifting, but He's in the same car. How many of you know that day he made a dumb relational choice? Do you know the story of the guy sleeping in the back seat while his friends go rob the bank is a true story? That there was a guy who was really trying to get his life together and uh, decided he was going to go back and just hang out with some of his friends. And they talked him into going just for a ride and that he fell asleep in the car. And while he was asleep, they went in and robbed a bank. And when they came back out and took off and were finally captured, He was asleep, innocent in the backseat. Guess what? He spent 10 years in a prison for a dumb relational choice. All right? We should choose our friends. We should choose our spouses. We should choose who we relate with, go into business with on common beliefs, values, and morals. If not, get ready for the bumps. This is what we teach. We don't missionary marry. If if they aren't fervent for God before the I do, I'll assure you they won't be after the I do. Don't evangelistically date. People choose relationships that steal their future and destiny. How many times have I heard? Well, you know, I knew better. I probably I knew I knew I knew I shouldn't. But you did. Not a good choice. All right. I believe in reaching out to people, but they should respond and move toward godliness and righteousness, and that's not you moving toward unrighteousness. So dumb relational choices. Number three, dumb financial choices. Anybody here ever made a dumb financial choice? Oh, sweet Jesus. How about I'll just say a few. Do you know there were celebrities, smart people, smart, smart financiers who got involved with Bernie Madoff? You remember the Ponzi guy that had billions? And he fooled them all. Wasn't that a dumb financial choice? How about our own Al Parish? who took millions from low country investors. And, and I look at the people that invested. They're not, they're not stupid people, but they made a dumb financial choice. And I, and, and I really didn't think about this. I didn't realize the young people were going to be here as I was writing this. But guys, I'm telling you, dropping out of high school, that's a dumb choice. Right. Gambling, dumb choice, you know what you know what I call the lottery? I call a lottery attacks on the on the dumb. You know you have about as much chance winning the lottery as being bit by a shark and struck by lightning at the same time. You say, well, what if I win well i you know then hey i'll I'll receive your tithe, but that's the <laughs> but that's the, but that's i i I would just soon you invest all those dollars in missionary work. All right. How many of us have loaned friends money? How many quit a job because you were mad? And then you couldn't find another job. Come on now. Those choices, choices. And then lastly, I put down here dumb health choices. Dumb health choices. In 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, um, it's another underlinable passage. Uh, 6 verse 19 it says do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own this is really amazing your body you can't say if you abuse your body you cannot say well I can do anything I want because it's my body the scripture says it's not your body male female it's not your body your body is not your own so if, if you're abusing it or or you're diminishing it, or you're destroying it, and you're saying, I have every right to do this. If I want to do it, it's mine. I can do anything I want because it's my body. The Scripture says, no, it's not. I'm reading it again. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God, it says, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, guys, there are choices we got to start making in this area. It says, I was reading statistically, by 2015, that's just three years from now, 75% of America is going to be considered obese. Now, listen to this. And it's going to cause an uptick in all of our issues of diabetes and joint issues. And you know what? I started reading that, and I thought to myself, you know, I realize that you can gauge yourself any way you want, but there's probably about 20 pounds here that needs to go somewhere. Because my body's not my own. I need to do something about that. Smoking-related health care and associated issues cost a $100 billion a year. Your body's not your own. Grade school kids are getting diabetes now. Do you understand there are kids in grade school that are getting diabetes because we are growing up a generation that doesn't understand that all of life is not a buffet. I was reading again today, which just confirmed, obviously, my conviction, even 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 moderate use of alcohol contracts brain tissues, depresses the central nervous system and diminishes memory. So so we've got to start thinking about the choices we're making. Do you understand as Christians, we are told that we can exercise dominion in the earth, but we're dying, (laughs) we're dying too quickly. Somebody came up to me one time and and said, pastor, do you think smoking a cigarette or having a drink is going to send you to hell? No, I don't think having a cigarette or drinking a drink will send you to hell. But if you keep doing it, it'll may get you to heaven a whole lot quicker. There's a TV documentary out there. Everybody needs to watch it. It's called supersize me. I watched that. I never forget the first time I watched that. I I swore off fast food for like months. I just said, I can't do it. I can't. Of course, just like anything, I kind of yielded, but, but you know, he ate, just ate that for one month. And the doctor said, if he didn't stop, it was going to kill him. It was going to kill him. Now I'm not here. I'm not an expert on health and wellness and fitness. I'm not an expert in all of these areas. I'm just here to tell you That as you make decisions in your life, all of us are making decisions that will affect the quality of our life in the years to come. And I tell you this because we have an opportunity right now of affecting what it is God would very much like to do in the years ahead. And we can't blame God for our current status when we're making dumb choices. So in these next weeks, listen, I'm going to talk about Ten emotions that drive dumb decisions. Now, I'm, I'm, I probably use a couple every week. But I'm, but I'm going to tell you about ten things that will drive dumb decisions. Why do you make a dumb? Why do people that are smart people? Again, I'm looking at everyone in this room and you're bright, sharp people. And all of you raised your hand and said, yeah, I made some dumb decisions in my life. I admit it. I admit it. I'm there. Why? If you understand why you did that, then the next time you won't do that following me. Then I'm going to tell you about seven important steps again over these weeks that you need to follow in order to make important decisions that will lead you to a quality life. Do you understand? I'm going to give you a seven, a seven point thing that you can follow through as you're making a decision. And if you will follow through on these seven points that I will give you, and I'm not giving guarantees, but, but I will tell you this, you will exponentially increase The quality of your decision-making. If you will follow those seven things, and I'm going to show it to you right out of the word. God tells us this is our owner's manual. He did not leave us without this understanding. 2011 can be a fantastic year for you if you make the changes in your decision-making that will lead you there. Now, I want to give you one last verse, and we're done. And that clock's fast, so I know I have at least a couple minutes left. Romans 8, 28 is my favorite, one of my favorite verses. And in the literal Greek, this is how it reads. And God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to a purpose. the, The thing I like about it is because a lot of the versions don't use that word cause. God will cause all things to work together for good. If you love him and you're called according to a purpose. Now, now let me tell you why that's a hope verse. Because remember my three decision tree here? And and let's say the will of God is right there. That's the straight line to the will of God. If I were just to walk a straight line to the will of God, that, that would that would be the best way to get there. But let's just say that, that those weren't the decisions you made. It was like this. Okay, that that's kind of your life. Now I understand. I here's your hope verse. Even in this mess, God can cause it to work together for because here's the good news. You see, because you may have started this way and kind of went this way and this, but do you understand that ultimately you can go this and start hitting and start hitting that mark again. God can cause all things to work together for good. If you what? Love Him? And you know that you're called according to a purpose. That's right. So that's your hope verse. You can change the way it's been, and it can get a whole lot better. Isn't that good news? That's why the gospel is called good news. It really is. Amen. Stand with me, will you?